Thanks for listening to the Waterstone Community Church Podcast. Welcome to the Great Prayers of the Bible series. Our calling is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. We are a growing movement of transformed people reshaping the culture to reflect God's heart. To learn more, please visit waterstonechurch.org. Good morning. Just out of curiosity, what were some of your favorite cartoons? As a, which one? Muppet Babies? Oh, Muppet Babies. I, what else? Bugs Bunny. What was that one? Speed Racer. Jetsons. I love the Jetsons. I said Donald Duck. I said Scooby-Doo. I like that there was always a mystery to be solved and um, the good guys always won. I, that may tell you something about me. I don't know. Um, I think it's interesting that a lot of the famous Bible stories were also put into cartoon form. Daniel and the lion's den, um, Noah's ark, and the one that I think might be the most popular is Jonah. There's even a VeggieTales version of Jonah. When we typically think of a kid's story about the book of Jonah, it's Jonah and the whale. The upside of turning Bible stories into kids' stories, into kids' versions, is it exposes the kids to a broad understanding of scripture. The downside is that sometimes we as adults get stuck in the messaging for the kids. And if that's true of the book of Jonah, then we may walk away thinking that the book of Jonah is about being a good person and what happens if we're not. This morning, I wanna challenge us to recognize that Jonah is actually so much more than that. It is a book that's intended for adults because it has some amazing, impactful, transformative messages in it. And it's got some really interesting perspective on prayer. We're in the midst of a series on prayer where we're spending the next number of weeks going through different prayers of the Bible. Last week, Nick talked about two main features of prayer. We ask, God answers. And this morning, I wanna take a few minutes to talk about four prayers, actually, that we see in the book of Jonah. But before we get there, I wanna give you a little bit of background. Jonah, one of the main questions that we always ask about Jonah is whether it's historical or it's a story, it's a parable. We, um, there, it's both, I'm gonna tell you it's both. After reading a lot of commentaries, theologians kind of have discussed this issue for years and years and years. Jonah himself is a historical figure. We see him in the book of Kings. Jesus refers to him in the Gospels. But this particular story is actually um, a, we see all sorts of imagery and it's a parable. So it's a parable about a historical character. What's really fun about it is that it's actually a form of satire. Satire is a story that is told, so when the audience hears it, they recognize that it's funny because it makes fun of characters, it pokes, in, it pokes holes in some um, observations that we have about those characters, and then when you get to the end of the satire, you realize that the story is actually about you. Saturday Night Live is brilliant at this. Remember, how many of you remember the church lady? Dana Carvey, that, isn't that special? <laughs> makes, still makes me laugh. Some of you are too young to remember this version, and that's okay. But Saturday Night Live used the church lady to kind of poke holes in some of the traditions that we have as churchgoers, and we watch it, we laugh because we know some of it is true. 
Um, a more modern version of that is John Christ. How many, anybody in here heard of John Christ? He's a comedian, he's a stand-up comedian, but he also does these hilarious videos. He grew up as a pastor's kid, and so he has, he has some amazing insight into some of the things that we hold on to. We pulled up a brief clip so you can get a glimpse of what satire looks like around prayer. He's a funny guy. If you ever have a chance to go see him, he's, he's funny. But that's satire. It pokes fun at us because we're all sitting here thinking, yep, I've totally done that, right? Somebody has shared a prayer request and we thought, I'm not praying for that. That's, that's what the book of Jonah does for us. So let me give you the 30-second view, the overview of Jonah, and then we're gonna go into some of the specifics. Here's the overview. God says to Jonah, hey, Jonah, I want you to go and preach the good news, and the good news is that I want my people, the Ninevites, to turn away from their evil ways and back towards me. So I want you to go preach that to them. Jonah says, no, thank you. I'm not really interested. It's a prophet's job, by the way, to go and preach this kind of message to people. Jonah says, no, thank you. Instead of going towards Nineveh, goes in the exact opposite direction, um, gets on a boat, is thrown over the boat into the water. A giant fish eats him swallows him whole, spits him out three days later. He decides he will obey. He goes to Nineveh. The Ninevites repent, and Jonah pouts. That's the story of Jonah. It's kind of funny, right? Well, wait till we get into it. I think it's even funnier. Now, we've got to remember when we're looking for some of the satire in the book that it's, we need to think about what that would have been like for the original audience. Remember, they're the ones that the writer was writing to to find humor in this and to reflect on themselves. But the big idea of Jonah is this. It's really about God's character. God is a compassionate, gracious, just God, and we as his people have the choice to either turn towards him or turn away from him. Some of this is revealed in the four prayers. There's a prayer in each chapter of the book. We're gonna look at each one individually. But those tie into that character of God because our response and how we approach him reflects how aligned our hearts are with his. So let's dive into the first chapter, chapter one. As I said, Jonah was supposed to um, go to Nineveh and he goes in the exact opposite direction. We put a map up here because this is pretty funny in and of itself. Here's, he's living in Joppa when God tells him to go to Nineveh and he goes to Tarshish. Instead of 550 miles, he goes 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. At this time, Tarshish would have been the end of the world, the very edge of the world as Jonah and the people would have known it. So we're supposed to find this humorous that not only does he disobey, but he disobeys as far as he can. He's on this boat, and all of a sudden, the waters start to get rough. The sea is, um, there are huge waves, and the sailors are in the pit of the boat, and they're starting to worry a little bit. Um, and, but Jonah, he's not worried at all. Actually, I don't think that, it's, that he's not worried. I think he's continuing to ignore God. So he goes to the bottom of the boat and he falls asleep. In the meantime, these sailors start to pray. We see here in chapter one, it says this. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Here they are. A couple things I want you to notice. We'll wait on that one a second, Josh. Um, he's, late. he's in the bottom of the ship, but the sailors believe in all different gods. And so they're just throwing prayers out to whoever. 
So it'd be like, I throw up my prayer to my God and that doesn't work because the sea doesn't settle down. So you throw out your prayer to your God and then you throw out your prayer to your God. We're like just, we're just trying whatever we can. And all of a sudden we think, hey, we think Jonah has a God. So we wake him up and say, hey, do you have a God that we can pray to? And Jonah goes on to explain, I do have a God. He's the God that's God over all other gods and he's the God of the sea and the land. And the sailors have this realization, oh my gosh, you're the problem. <laughs> Your God is the one that control, can control everything that's happening. What in the world did you do? Well, Jonah had already shared with the sailors that he was running away from his God. So they put the puzzle pieces together and said, Jonah, we've got to figure something out. Can you please pray to your God? Well, the, chap, the verse goes on, it says this in the next part. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. So here they are, they're praying. Jonas, they start to pray to Jonah's God. And, um, but Jonah says, if you throw me over the edge, then the seas will calm down. Well, here, all of a sudden, the sailors are compassionate. They don't want to see Jonah die. And so they're trying to, they're trying to help Jonah run away from God. They're trying to row back to land to keep everybody safe. It's when they realize that it doesn't work that, it, that our chapter goes on. But they could not row back to land, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. If you go back to the first part that we read, when they were crying out to their gods, the text actually shows the word God in a lowercase g. Then when we move forward to this portion, all of a sudden, they're actually praying to the, the God, the one and only God. Something happened inside the heart of those sailors that they turned away from the, the things that they were putting their trust in, and they decided to follow the true savior, the true, one true creator. They left their place of helplessness. They recognized that they were, they were in this place of helplessness, and they turned away from that. You know, that's one of the lessons that we can learn from prayer, that prayer teaches us to recognize our helplessness. It applies to us as well. We don't often think of the fact that we call out to other gods when we're in trouble, but we do this all the time. We get into a pickle and instead of calling out to God, we, put, we invest our money in something. We try to, to pay to get, us, get ourselves out of the trouble that we're in. Or we put our trust in other people. We're, we hope that a parent or a child or a spouse or a friend will fill the need that we have and they'll help rescue us from our circumstances. Or sometimes we get into a place where we start to self-medicate with alcohol or drugs or sexuality because that's our God in the midst of hopelessness. We're really no different from the sailors. We too cry out to various gods when the circumstances seem dire. And this portion of Jonah teaches us that it's in turning to the one true God and calling out and recognizing our helplessness and our hopelessness that he steps in and responds. That's the first prayer of the book of Jonah. So the story goes on, it goes on to chapter two and the story shifts. So the, um, they're riding on the boat, the waves are getting big, the sailors cry out to God, and then they decide they don't have any other options but to throw Jonah overboard. That's part, of, that's part of honoring what God had told them to do. So they throw Jonah overboard, and then all of a sudden, Jonah starts to fall to the bottom of the, of the water. 
The second prayer is Jonah himself calling out. And he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Uh, You know, until I really started to study this passage, I always thought that Jonah was praying to get out of the fish. Jonah's actually praying a prayer of thanksgiving because he's in the fish. Because the alternative was death. So God actually, in an unusual manner, sent a fish, this is part of the humor, sent a fish to rescue Jonah from the depths of the sea. So he's, he's praying a prayer of thanksgiving. One of the things that the author does that's brilliant is everything is big. So of course, it's a, it's a you know, we call it a whale because it's, it's a huge fish. Jonah goes far away. Everything is exaggerated. So right now, Jonah's in, in the belly of the whale, the belly of the fish, more accurately, and he's praising God. But then the passage goes on and says this. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. This is subtle, unless you're paying attention, and I want us to pay attention. Um, Jonah's calling out to God, and he's saying to God, God, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. Is that true? No. God did not throw Jonah into the depths of the sea. Jonah ended up in the water as a consequence for his own choices to rebel against God. In fact, it was either he threw himself over or the sailors threw him over. Jonah is full on pointing fingers at God. He's not accepting responsibility for what he did, which was to run away from God. He's thanking God in one moment and then in the very next moment he's saying, well, it's really, it's really your fault. I didn't, I didn't do anything. There's this tension. There's this mixed message that he has going on inside of him. He's both self-righteous and he's thankful all in the exact same moment. C.S. Lewis has a great quote that says this. Humans are very seldom either totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they are often quite mistaken as to what their motives are. This is true of Jonah. It's true in this part of the passage, and then it's true again later. We see um, in Jonah, did we do this one already? Two, eight through nine? Can we do that one, Josh? Thank you. Those, here he's doing the same thing. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. He's in this tension again. On the one hand, he's talking about everybody else who worships worthless idols. But what's ironic is we don't often think about it, but Jonah's self-righteousness is his idol. His dependence on himself is him putting something before God. So he's guilty of the very thing that he's pointing his finger at everybody else about, but then he turns right around and says, but I will shout with grateful praise. Is he being disingenuous? No, he's just being human. This is true for all of us. You know, I was trying to think of an example of this, and sometimes it's funny because when you're getting ready to preach, all of a sudden you find examples everywhere. And so here was my example last night of that tension between having two things happening inside of me. On the one hand, I was at home, um, we're getting ready to leave for vacation, so I was at home packing, I was reflecting on Jonah's prayer, and I was praying. 
I was praying that I would see my helplessness that, and that would help me keep my eyes on God. Literally five minutes later, I was so frustrated with the three kids that were home that I called a group meeting. I didn't even lose it with one of them. I called everybody into the same room so I could lose it with everybody at one time. I, I guess I thought it was efficient, I don't know. <laughs> How can that happen? Within five, 10 minutes, I'm going from praising God to losing my mind. But I'm guessing that you can relate because you've done the exact same thing. That's part of our human character. We are always in that tension because we're a mix of pluses and minuses. We're a mix of black and white. We're a mix of being thankful and self-righteous all at the same time. That isn't a reason for us to ignore going to God. It's a reason to go to him. One of the things that we can learn from this prayer is that prayer teaches us to embrace the complexity of our faith. We're not supposed to not go to God because we're in that tension. He wants us to come to him in the fullness of who we are with all of our brokenness. That's what this section of Jonah teaches us about. And by the way, I would encourage you to read the book of Jonah sometime this week. It's only four chapters long, um, but there, it's, it's a pretty amazing book. So we're just giving you snippets of it, but take some time this week to read it. All right, so we've done two of the prayers so far. So we've got prayer teaches us to recognize our helplessness, teaches us to embrace the complexity of our faith. The story goes on. So Jonah's in the belly of this whale. He prays, his prayers are mixed. I'm thankful, it's all your fault. And, um, and the, all of a sudden the fish spits him out on dry land. Don't you think it's kind of funny? I think the fish got tired of listening to Jonah's debate and he vomited him up on the land. That's, 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 part, that's part of the story, it's hilarious. So he spits him out on dry land. Jonah decides that now he'll go and he'll obey God. And so he goes and he talks to the Ninevites. But he does so in kind of a snarky way. He, a, a prophet's whole job is to, we talked about this a minute ago, the whole job of a prophet is to go and say, um, hey, warning, 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 you are engaging in all of these things that are not good for your heart. It's not good for the people around you. You're in danger of living an eternity away from God. You, I want to redirect you to the one true living God. Call out his name and he will give you forgiveness. That's kind of what prophets, that's what prophets do. That's their message that they give to people. That's their mission. Jonah decides to shortcut this mission. Look at what he says in, in chapter three, verse three. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. This is another part of that satire. It, it didn't take three days to walk through Nineveh. It was probably a couple hours. Um, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh, Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, now think about what I just told you about what prophets say. And then here's Jonah. He is good. He, he's gonna obey, but he's gonna obey as little as possible. He gives them, what, seven words here? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then it goes on. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Jonah is just digging his heels in here. He's going the opposite direction. He's pointing fingers at God. Now he's approached the Ninevites. He's told them as little as possible and ooh, what's gonna happen now? Because they just, they just repented. <laughs> He shared as little as he could, and they, they trusted God. Let's see what happens in the next section here. 
This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. So what happens is not only do the Ninevites uh, proclaim that they, they wanna follow God, but the king himself gives this proclamation and he says this, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. So he's saying all of the people of the city and all of the animals, that's part of the humor, are gonna, they're gonna fast. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. All right, how many of you have seen cows with sackcloth on? <laughs> it's, just, it's funny, right? Um, so all of the, everybody's got this sackcloth on. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. This is an image that here, jo- um, I'm sorry, here Jonah goes and he pray- prays to God and God um, sends him to talk to the Ninevites and the Ninevites all repent. The whole city repents. Now imagine this, if you're a prophet, don't you think you would find some sort of joy in fulfilling God's purpose of your life when you go and share and somebody actually turns to God? Like don't you think it, it may be joyful even if it's just one person? But can you imagine you go and share and the entire city and all the animals, everybody repents? You would think that Jonah will, would be excited if he had a heart after God's own heart, that he would be thrilled that God's compassion brought his people to himself. But that is not how he's responding. What we're really focusing on here, though, is the Ninevites and the way that they repented and they responded. They stopped and they took an honest examination of themselves. And in that honest examination, they turned to him and repented. Jonah can be mad about it all day long, but that's the story of God. In the New Testament, that's the story of the gospel. We serve a God who loves us so much that even though we broke the covenant with him, he continues to pursue us. It doesn't matter how evil the Ninevites were. Let me tell you a little bit about them. The Ninevites were similar to our, let's say, modern day ISIS. They were the ones that killed the Israelites and not only did they kill the Israelites, they tortured them. They would skin people alive, including children, and they would hang the bodies out for other people to see. They were evil, evil people. We actually forget that there's a reason that Jonah is so appalled by the Ninevites. They are, they are bad. They are the enemies of the Israelites, and part of Jonah's job is to protect the Israelites. You know, when we hear in this part of the book, when we hear in chapter three what the, what's happening with the Ninevites, all of a sudden we, we realize, gosh, maybe Jonah ran away because he was afraid of these people. They are bad, bad people. But what the scripture is teaching us is that it does not matter what the sins of the people are. It doesn't matter if somebody is a murderer. It doesn't matter if somebody is a rapist. When we repent, when God's people repent, when we call out to him and turn to him, he gives forgiveness. But that self-examination is kind of like putting a magnifying glass on ourselves. We like to take the magnifying glass and look at the sins of everybody else around us. We like to see what everyone else is doing. 
that's dark and messy. And we forget that we, our responsibility is to look at ourselves because that's what repentance is. Repentance is. It's taking the chance to look at our own lives so that we can turn towards God. Some of us, some of you in this room, you may be able to grasp that God is big enough to forgive other people of all of their messiness, but you're not really sure that that applies to you. Part of the danger of being in this place where we categorize the sins of the people is that when we put some sins in one category and other sins in another category, we miss the nature of God. Some of you need to hear that there is nothing that you've done, there is nothing that you have said, there is no sin that you have committed that keeps you from the love of God. That's the prayer of the Ninevites. The Ninevites teach us to honestly examine our lives, not so that we step into a life of shame, but so that we step into a life of freedom, recognizing that God's forgiveness is applicable to us. And some of us in this room are gonna wrestle with the fact that this applies to those who have caused evil in our lives. We don't want to accept that this same grace applies to somebody that's part of ISIS. If they turn towards God, God accepts their repentance. Grace is grace. We don't get to pick and choose. It's, it's all grace or it's no grace at all. And that's the, that's the third thing we get to learn from the prayer of Jonah, is that prayer teaches us to honestly examine our lives so that we understand the grace of God. All right, so we've got these three parts of the story. We've done chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Now we're moving into chapter four. So all of these people uh, repent. You would think that Jonah would be all excited, but he's not. He is like a child who's been disciplined for hitting another kid and is standing in the corner mad, pouting. It's like he's got his nose in the corner. This is what chapter four says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He is ticked off that God just forgave the Ninevites. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Josh, will you go back one slide? I wanna point something out real quick. Isn't it interesting that right here, Jonah says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Jonah knew that God was a God who's compassionate, just, and merciful. We start to read the book of Jonah and we assume that Jonah's running away because he's afraid. Jonah isn't running away because he's afraid. Jonah's running away because he knows he serves a compassionate, just, loving God that just might forgive the Ninevites and Jonah wants no part of it. He is so self-absorbed and so concerned about just him that he responds, I would rather die than serve a God like you who is gracious and compassionate to the Ninevites. Isn't it kind of ironic that he's in that pouty place 
just after he was swallowed by a whale, lived for three days to tell about it, and was spit back out? But that's where he is. He is just this, he's just this angry, bitter, he's in an angry, bitter place, and he's continuing to blame God. Everything is God's fault, just like when he was in the whale. Then our passage goes on to say this. Uh, one more, Josh, sorry. All right, so before we get to this, he's gonna talk about this plant. So in between these two sections that we pulled out for you, um, God does something for Jonah. So Jonah's sitting on the side of the mountain. He said, I, you know, I just wanna die. I'm so mad at you that you're gracious to the Ninevites. And God sends a plant to shade Jonah. And Jonah's thankful that God sent a plant. He recognizes, hey, <laughs> I'm now comfortable. It's all about me. And thank you, God, for making me comfortable. And then God sends a little tiny worm that eats the plant and the plant dies. And Jonah's mad all over again. So that's where this kept, picks up. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah says, it is. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Can't you just hear snarky a little bit in here? But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. Is there more to this one? Thank you. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? I'm gonna unwrap this passage, but I just have to point out that this is how the whole book ends, and I just think it's funny. And also many animals? <laughs> uh, what does that mean? Um, but here's what it's talking about. Here's the point of the passage. The point of this part of the passage is that God is continuing to point to Jonah to say, you are so worried about you that you are forgetting that I have a heart for all people. You're worried about you, um, your comfort. You want those who you want to be forgiven to be forgiven and not others because that makes you more comfortable. You want to be shaded by this plant, but you're mad if you're not shaded by the plant. You're not even paying attention to the lesson that I'm trying to teach you. Jonah, you are all about you which misses the very core of God's heart. God isn't here for our comfort and for us to be forgiven and for us to receive grace. He is, but he's here for all. The very nature of God that is, is that he's compassionate, gracious, and just for everyone. Now, when I say that, you might be like, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, well, I want you to think about this for a minute. We gotta keep putting ourselves in Jonah's shoes. That would have been a hard pill to swallow when you were thinking about the Ninevites who may have killed his family members, people that he loved. So he is in this self-serving space, but remember he's in that tension. He's also, he's also probably rightly angry about some of the injustices that have happened. But we can't miss the fact that he's pointing fingers at people that are different from him that he deems as evil and unworthy of God's grace because we do the same thing. Sometimes we do that when we think about ISIS or the terrorists on 9-11. How would we respond if those who committed those crimes, those atrocities, turned to God? Would we celebrate or would we be like Jonah, 
sitting with our arms crossed because we're mad that God's grace applies to those people. What about people in different cultures? Maybe people who have different beliefs from our own. That we've decided, well, they're out and we're in. We think we're the chosen ones. So did Jonah. We're chosen, but we're chosen to share the good news of Christ. We're not chosen to hold everything to ourselves and think it's all about us. But we get stuck in that place and we think people from other cultures or that are exploring other religions, we assume they're out. And so what if God says to them, he calls out to them and they repent? Do we, do we, are we joyful or do we cross our arms and pout again? Some of us, and we talk, we've been talking about this recently because this is so prevalent in our culture right now. We hear about it all the time. Politics. We dig our toes in, we dig our heels in, and we're not sure whether it's Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or any other politician you want to name, whether they're really deserving of God's grace. So then all of a sudden, we put ourselves in this self-righteous position where as long as we're comfortable, nobody else needs to, needs to accept his grace. His grace is only good for us, not for anyone else. When we read the story of Jonah, it's easy for us to say, well, that's Jonah, and I understand, and you know, I wouldn't do that. But I need to let you know that the whole point of writing this story from a point of satire is so that you realize that you're Jonah. You are the self-righteous one. We are the self-righteous ones. We are the ones who are sitting under the plant complaining because we want it to be all about us. And we don't want God's grace to apply to everybody. We want the benefits, we don't want everybody else to have it because it has too hard of implications for us. It means that we have to be forgiving. It means we have to be compassionate. It means we have to be gracious. And that's not comfortable for us. So the fourth message that we learn about prayer in the book of Jonah is that we need to beware of our self-righteousness. So we've walked through the book. Prayer teaches us to recognize our helplessness like the sailors, to embrace the complexity of our faith like Jonah in the belly of the fish, to honestly examine our lives like the Ninevites, and to beware of our self-righteousness like Jonah at the end of the book. We would be amiss if we left you with this information as an intellectual exercise. And so we're gonna take the next few minutes and put some prayers up on the screen and then have about a minute of silence on each of these four areas. So I'll read the prayer. We'll also leave it on the screen. So if you're somebody that that's part of how you pray as you reread, that will be available, you can close your eyes, you can kneel, but we just wanna take some time to really come before God and pray the prayers that the people of Jonah modeled for us because we believe that that's transformational. And then at the very end of that time, then I will close us um, with a gospel prayer. So let's pray this first prayer. Why don't you read this with me? God, help me to recognize my helplessness without you. Help me to turn away from the idols and other gods in my life and to turn towards you, the one true God.
Next one. Read with me. God, I recognize we are all made up of positives and negatives, pluses and minuses, good intentions and selfish desires. Help me to embrace the complexity of my faith and come to you just as I am. All right, next one. God, it is often easier for me to look at the brokenness of others and ignore my own places of sin and rebellion. Help me to honestly examine the places in my life where I am turning away from you and give me the courage to repent of my unfaithfulness and turn back towards you. Next one. God, I acknowledge that I want to give you, you to give me, sorry, your grace and forgiveness, but I don't always want the same for others. Help me take the focus off of myself and my own desire for comfort and give me your heart of compassion for others.
God, as we come to you this morning with our prayers of helplessness, our prayers of wrestling through the complexities of faith, our prayers of honest self-examination and repentance, and even our prayers of self-righteousness. God, we are so thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for our sins, to return us back to the covenant promise that you made. God, we are amazed by the fact that despite our unfaithfulness, you continue to be faithful to us. Thank you that you've given us Christ as the living example of the compassionate, gracious, just God who hears us when we call and responds to our prayers. Amen. To learn more about Waterstone, please visit waterstonechurch.org.